Mr. Vice President, someone finally bought a copy of your book, sir. Well, this calls for a celebration. Hello and welcome to the 50th episode special of Please Watch This. My name is Hugh Dempsey. I am joined as always by Sam Blakely. Hello, Sam. Hello, welcome Hugh, for the to our cele- Hello. Welcome to our celebration here today as we celebrate going through 50. Yes, that's it. Not not 49, not 48. <laughs> not 100. 50, hope. No, or 51. <laughs> 50 episodes of uh, Please Watch This, uh, our little movie podcast where we recommend films to each other like absolute keynotes. Yes, absolutely. All those months ago, almost a year ago now, when we first almost. started recording, pretty much, pretty yeah. much the other day. Yeah, so, because I am such the consummate professional, I was uh, listening back to our 10th episode from back in September 2019. Do you remember those halcyon days of, you know, no bushfires in <laughs> Australia, no global pandemic? You know, when our biggest worry was, you know, uh, climate change and Donald Trump. I'd never heard the words killer and hornets in the same sentence at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was listening back and um, I realised we made, we made a little deal, me and you. So for the audience at home, I'm going to play a little clip. I'll do you a deal. In, um, I don't know, let's say a year or two's time, I'll rewatch Empire Strikes Back. We'll talk about that. And you rewatch See, There Will Be Blood. I'll quite happily rewatch There Will Be Blood. But I think with Empire, I don't think, I don't think you'll ever like it because no. it's a kid's <laughs> film. Yeah. <essentially>. <laughs> you <laughs> said it. You said it. Well, that's why you don't like it. And I think the more I ruminated on it and the more, because. I had a feeling when we watched it that you'd be like, oh, I can see why everyone likes it, but it's not for me. And then I didn't expect the vitriol that's come out of your mouth in the last, <laughs> what, three months since you watched it. So, less than a year later, so we just around a year later, let's let's go, you know, yeah. we, can, we can be fast and loose here, can't we, Sam? Um, we've decided... It's our show. To, uh, it is indeed. Uh, so we've decided, as a celebration of our 50th episode, me and Sam, we both went back and we watched the films that we said we'd re-watch from that clip you just heard. So I've gone back and watched we will, There Will Be Blood Even, and Sam has gone back and watched uh, Empire Strikes Back. So... We're going to get into it, straight from the off. Sam, you went back and watched Empire Strikes Back. So, mm. at the time, what was your... what was So, actually, in fact, so what I remember from what you were saying at the time, what you didn't like. So, you basically were... Um, you know, there was, there was... You said the plot wasn't there, it kind of ambles around. You didn't really like that aspect of it. We've got a little again. We've got a little clip here of Sam talking about what he thought. What he thought about this a year ago. The things I didn't like, if we're ready for that, things I didn't like is it's. I don't think it's very well made. Um, I don't yeah. think it's very well plotted. I don't think it really has a plot. Right. Okay. So I you felt it. You felt it like kind of ambled around looking for something. It to do. really did. I think the thing that yeah. when I first started watching it, the thing that really got it for me was. Luke on Hoth, and he's kidnapped by that uh, yacht Wampa, and yeah. that's completely not not relevant to anything. Maybe it tells us he's got the Force, but we knew that from A New Hope. Yeah, the Wampa doesn't come back at all. 
it gets Han out into the into the tundra, but then they're just fine, and that's fine. Maybe yeah. it, maybe it incorporates the fact that he's a bit of a reactive hero rather than active, but it just it just felt like oh here's here's a character we can sell toys of. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, do you still stand by that opinion that you had a year ago? I'll sort of tee up generally. Uh, the rather than getting straight into that, I think there's a real question here of sort of pride versus integrity. Um, the, the natural inclination of anybody in a debate, especially online these days, is to always double down and never back down. So when okay. I was watching it, it was genuinely like, okay, the pride, the pride in me, the proud part of me wants to just dismiss this film uh, and hate it as much as I did before but then I've got integrity so I want to be to be honest and I want to be as um, kind of critical of my previous opinions Every I think what I said before stands I don't think it's very well structured or plotted but that didn't it didn't matter as much this time um, I mean, I still think you... I still think this film really is made to sell billions of dollars worth of merchandise. <laughs> There's still so many characters and aliens and stuff that that clearly exist so they can sell some toys. But on the plus side, it is a really richly built world because you've got so many different types of life living mm. in all kinds of different planets. Obviously, it's got that old cliched problem of every every planet seems to have one kind of ecosystem and that's it. Um, you know, you've got the Hoth kind of ice planet and then you've got Dagobah and so on. Um, they've only got one sort of ecosystem. Yeah. It did still amble. I still found myself drifting um, yeah. while I was watching the film. Um, in terms of, like, the plot, though, and the narrative, did you do you appreciate that it's basically two A plots that are running parallel to each other and they... They diverge at the beginning when they leave Hoth, and then they cross back over right at the end when they get to Cloud City. Did you, yeah, it does become it being more an apparent. A and a B plot. I think I think film structure is something that unless you really train, which I'm not, um, generally yeah, you do pick up the more you watch the film, uh, any film. Um, and I think you're right. I think that knowing what was going to happen kind of made that divergence make more sense. When we first reviewed it, I had watched it twice um, in that week, so I had some sense of that, but I think I had an you know, even more inbuilt sense of of the structure. So it's better structured than I initially thought. When I said it wasn't well made, I think what I really should have said was it wasn't well plotted, because it is well made for the time in particular, you know, from, from an effects point of view and so on. Yeah. Um, I mean, did you enjoy the... Ample. Did you enjoy the um, the battle at the beginning, the, uh, the the Arctic battle on Hoth? I mean, that's pretty iconic, you know, in movie making. Not really, no. I mean, I, I can see why the AT-ATs are um, iconic because they they do lumber and it's very very good design. But I didn't. There's a really sense of menace care. to them, in all fairness. Like there is, you know, yeah. there's. You know, it's easy to joke about, oh yeah, we'll drop them like three miles from where they're supposed to be and have them walk slowly <laughs> to their target. But when they're these like indestructible behemoths, they there's a sense of dread that I think the idea that they're supposed to impose on anyone trying to fight them. Yeah, and I think another thing in its in its favour kind of um, that didn't help with my review was that it had been, I think, at least 
three, maybe four years since I'd seen A New Hope, so I didn't really care about the Rebels at all. Um, but as part of our show, episode six, I think, or thereabouts, episode five, um, we watched Rogue One. So I had a bit more, this time I had a bit more insight into the Rebel cause, because before they were just a bunch of people on, a, on an ice planet, at least I felt a sense of threat. Um, because of the impending empire, you know, finding them and, and coming coming onto them, I still agree with the the Luke thing. I still think him being taken by the Yomper is uh, Wampa, sorry, is you know to sell merchandise and set up some cheap conflict peril at the start. But it does introduce Han. It does introduce him as an Indiana Jones style figure, who again yeah. I hadn't seen before this. Yeah, I think one thing I like about this film is it because it is like I said two plots running simultaneously you do get more character development with Han and Leia on one side and then Yoda on his and sorry not Yoda Luke on his journey on the other side so you get to see different interactions it's not like a repeat of the first film I think that's very important mm. and I think George Lucas yeah. was very keenly aware that it wasn't I mean you know one of the criticisms you, you'll find out maybe next week about Return of the Jedi is you know, it's a film that has very two very distinct acts, and the second act just feels very similar to uh, Star Wars because oh no, they've got another Death Star. Well, here we go again. <laughs> you know, those pesky yeah. Empire and their double star Death Stars. <laughs> well, that is the exciting thing. Yeah, next week we are going to be watching Return of the Jedi, which, funny, funnily enough, you know, in preparation for this episode, we both listened back to. Uh, uh, to our episodes, and there is a bit at the start of that first episode, of our first ever episode, where I say, uh, not to spoil anything, but pretty soon we will be watching Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a year later, and yeah. then you also say in, in that basically that same minute, you say, and there will be blood because I've not seen that either, uh, which yeah. tees up obviously later in this episode. We're going to be talking about there will be blood, which we did eventually get to. Um, I um, as mentioned in the episode, so as we often do, you asked me the question, would you recommend this film? And I said. Not really, but I but I will show it to my daughter. Yeah. I was watching I was watching the film the other day, and this is rare because it's one of the films we're covering that I can watch in front of my three year old daughter. And luckily, it's on Disney Plus now. Again, we're not paid by Disney Plus, but it does help uh, rather than getting out the old CDs, uh, the DVDs from some godforsaken part of the house that I can't remember where we put them. So I put it on, and she was hooked. She was so taken. She only watched the first three minutes, really. She watched the um, the opening titles, the crawl, uh, mm. you know, the text crawl, and then a little bit at the start with the tontons. And mm. apparently I was speaking to my partner later and she said, oh yeah, Lily uh, said, I watched a film with Daddy. It was awesome. <laughs> and she really loved it. And so almost watching it through her eyes, I got a sense of that fanaticism when the that Star Wars wonder. logo hits. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it is... You know, if I love the film more, it's like whenever I hear the Avengers theme. Really, if I'm watching an MCU film, that that's I think really great. Uh, <clears throat> and it also reminded me of a great sketch by Ryan George that I'm going to play to you now. Um, that I think you'll you'll be able to um, relate to. Side note: You might want to edit this out. I have already got the audio, and it's in a file. I'll put it in the drive. Don't worry. All right, welcome back, week two. Nathan, would you like to share your progress with us? Uh, my name's Nathan, I'm a Star Wars addict. Hello, Nathan. Nathan. Hello, Nathan. I'm still struggling with hearing the soundtrack all over the place, but that first session last week definitely helped. Yeah, it did, didn't it? What What was that? It did, didn't it? <clears throat> it did, didn't it? It did, didn't it? You okay? It did, didn't it? 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 You don't have to do this. It did, didn't it? It did, didn't it? It did, didn't it? It did, didn't it? 
You guys are pathetic. Stupid. Stupid. And so I'd see, you know, I'd seen that sketch before, but for the first time, I understood. I understood that, you know, it does. It is for. It makes for a very fanatical following. Okay, fair enough. Um, so another criticism you had of this film. So I think you might have mentioned the second one where you were saying that you still think the plot drags a bit with irrelevant scenes, like the one you said that. So you say Luke is reactive and Han is a dickhead. Two. Yeah, so do you still think Luke is reactive and Han is a dickhead? I can't really remember why you thought Han was a dickhead. Do you want to just explore that first? <laughs> Let's, should we listen to the clip? Yeah, I'll pop the clip in here. I'll, I'll let me speak for myself. I do think Luke's too reactive to be a hero. And so you look, for, you look to Solo to be the reactive go-getter. Mm. And I found him just too cold. I, you know, I could imagine he's awful to waiters at restaurants. <laughs> And I thought, if this wasn't Harrison Ford, I would hate this character. But it's Harrison so, Ford, so I like him. But it's not, yeah, it's not the performance I that I like. It's Harrison I Ford I like. So basically, you think that Han Solo would be awful to waiters. And you only liked <laughs> it. So at the time, you only liked him because it was Harrison Ford. Again, do you still think A, Luke is too reactive, and B, that uh, Harrison Ford is a dickhead? <laughs> Well, so I'll, I'll go with the Luke one first. It, it, I do still think he's too reactive, but I think you made a very good point at the time, which was, well, this is kind of his journey to not being so reactive. You know, he is the one, he's the young one who needs training and so on. Um, but yeah, I, I found myself not, not really warming to Luke because he's so reactive. I mean, and I would say whiny. he's proactive, though, because Yoda tells him not to go to rush off to meet his fate or whatever. He says, you know, you've got to let your friends suffer. And Luke's like, no, I've shut up old green dude I'm going to save my friends which sort of what sort of you know man do you take me for so I think I think I don't I've never bought that he's a reactive hero and he's but then again I'm coloured I guess by the fact that I've seen Return of the Jedi and in that he's all pro- proactivity until he's not so this is it so I think I think if a character starts out as being reactive and they become proactive that's yeah. probably just char- good character development as opposed to a, a character flaw so mm. I'm, I'm you know, I'm willing to concede that maybe he's not really reactive. Maybe I'm just thinking of him as being a bit whiny. I think that's yeah. probably what it is, as opposed to being reactive. On the hand thing, I still think he's a dickhead, and I still think he's cold. But <laughs> especially now I've seen Indiana Jones, which I had never seen before. I've watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. I um, I liked Han more this time around because he's he's basically in Indiana Jones, but in a in a galaxy. A long time ago, far, far away. I mean, it's it's so reminiscent of the scene in Raiders where um, he jumps on a horse to go run after the Nazis who were in jeeps. Uh, when he yeah. jumps on the, is it called a tonton? The it is. Uh, the horsey thing. When he jumps on that to go save Luke, and he says, "Well, then I'll see you in hell." The the pro- point with him being a dickhead is that he's so rude to people while he's doing these cavalier brave things like he's so rude to Chewie so rude to C-3PO so rude to Leia um, and so rude to those nameless rebel engineer people he's just like he could very easily say I'm going to go save my friend um, I don't care if it's a risk rather than he's just he's just sort of rude to everybody but I did have more respect for him I mean one of my favourite things that he did uh, that he improvised because he, he kind of goes okay we're going to die so I'm going to improvise a way around this was when he uh, got the Millennium Falcon and you know uh, sort of hid it on that Star Destroyer to to, to cloak it basically um, can I ask you a question so I had more so, respect for him 
that's good. I like that. But I think when you look at Han Solo, he comes from, to get a little like meta here and a bit deep, but I think he comes from a different time of masculinity, of what male masculinity should be. I was thinking back, and now that I've seen the film, is he actually reminded me more of somebody like um, Paul Newman's character in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You know, he's maybe not as quick-witted as him, but he kind of lives on his wits. He's got that roguish behaviour. He's got his loyal friend at the side of him. You know, he's, he's essentially a outlaw cowboy. And I think when you look, view him through that lens, which I think was the original lens he was intended to be, he's a space cowboy, essentially. That these... <laughs> You know, he hasn't got time for people he either sees beneath him or, you know, bound by your rules, man. You know, that kind of, you know, people who Mm -hmm, kind of mm -hmm. fit into, you know, you can't go out there in that weather, you'll die. And he's like, well, I'll see you in hell then. Because he's like, I don't have to live by your rules, (laughs) you know. I really like that. So he's on a base of rebels, but he's the the biggest (laughs) rebel of the lot. Yeah, yeah, he's the James Dean character. (laughs) Without a cause. (laughs) Yeah, 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 he's the only one who's just there because it's something to do. Yeah, and that he and he's essentially uh, lusting after Princess Leia for the whole the whole film. Essentially, <laughs> essentially, it's just a story of a man wearing a woman down <laughs> until, she, until she decides that there's no other better candidates. <laughs> but he is essentially insanely brave, you know. Yeah, he's really brave, um, reckless, and like I say, great with improvisation. And you know, when dealt when dealing with with life or death situations he's brave and he does just react he doesn't he's 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 a type a proactive never going to let anybody else lead kind of person and like she's like Leia says you know he's a natural leader natural born leader but i just i just don't like him um because you don't have to be that much of a dickhead you know i mean remember he, as soon he, as but he does have great qualities uh, i mean if you remember as soon as Darth Vader turns up the first thing he does is pull out his pistol and tries to shoot him Mm. Oh yeah, he's not one to be cowed by anybody. Yeah, yeah. I think I prefer Indiana Jones. Yeah, although I think he, I essentially think he plays the same character in those two films. I get the sense Harrison Ford is just playing Harrison Ford most of the time. I get the sense that Harrison Ford is probably very sardonic, but probably has a lot of these qualities himself. I can't see him saying very many nice things. You know, he's sort of above it all. So. I'm not going to play any more. I'm not going to play any more uh, clips now. We're just going to go through the last couple of points that you had with this film the first time around. So you said Yoda is annoying and his speech pattern is inconsistent. I am well on board with that. Still, Do you so still annoying. Have... So in- it is inconsistent. I was really looking out for more specific examples, and a lot of the time it's when he use when he starts a, f- a sentence with there is. Um, mm. He he doesn't do his uh, whatever it was. Um, we had a bit of a discussion is it subject object yeah. verb <laughs> that sort of thing yeah um, so what are we SVO and then like I said French and Spanish and Italian are S no we're SOV they're SVO and I think this is subject I think this is verb subject object or something like that <laughs> yeah. you don't seem confident but no I can't remember it, <laughs> and I've not googled it, it since it doesn't always stick to that is the problem um, yeah, but again, you've got to is communicate there an explanation to the audience. No, no, it's just. Have you, so you've seen more. No. Is, have you seen the Mandalorian with the baby Yoda in it? I have. Yeah, yeah. Does, do they go into it there? No, because the baby Yoda doesn't speak because he's a baby. Right. Is everyone around him speaking in SVO? Nope. <laughs> they all just speak in normal English. 
Yeah, SV. I think that's what it was, isn't it? Anyway, so yeah, so there's no real explanation. Um, no, like we said, it basically comes down to being a racial stereotype, Mr. Miyagi sort of character, or a, you know, some sort of, you know, Oriental Eastern wisdom sort of thing. He's still very annoying. He's this little rat thing. I, I do stick by that. Yeah, you don't see him as this. Like you said, like wise old sage that is trying to teach Luke how to use the Force, essentially. Mm-hmm, yeah. Right. Yeah, so then you say that um, the music is intrusive, uh, like Han in the Carbonite, um, that the the music overwhelms there, essentially. No. Oh, no, no sorry. Sorry, you said that the music overwhelms in most scenes, except for when Han goes into the Carbonite, and you compared it to when Michael Corleone uh, shoots the police officer and the Turk in The Godfather. More accurately, you 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 um, compared it to that, which I thought was a really good comparison. Yeah, it was that the music is so iconic for a really good reason. It's such a brilliant score. I, you know, I don't want to underplay how great the score is and how iconic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there are times when it is going a bit too much. And I, you know what? I've got to say, this time around, I didn't notice that as much. Um, but I've, I'm not saying that it didn't happen. But I didn't really notice it as much. A question uh, I have for you on this then. After you watched Raiders of the Lost Ark, did you not see the kind of generic similarities there between Star Wars and Raiders, that this was actually a generic convention that was in these films, that Lucas was harking back to those old 50s, you know, TV melodramas and TV children's series? No, I mean, that's that's fine. And I, and I think that then that becomes a, a decision that I didn't like as much it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing about the film same as um, when we're talking about the Big Lebowski you know that it's, it's a decision to favour character and lines over plot it doesn't mean it's bad um, I think that's that's fine and I, I wouldn't take that away from anybody if they like that I think what what found what I found really interesting was that nine episodes later when we were talking about There Will Be Blood when you talked about basically in a very climactic scene of There Will Be Blood there's no music and that that was a good opportunity for it to have some dramatic music um and I found it really interesting that I think that's looking at a film like There Will Be Blood through more of a, a, a lens like this as opposed to it being, you know, something very different. Uh, but no, I think I think the music's excellent in this and I think it, it's, a, it's a perfectly valid choice to make it really dramatic in dramatic places. Yeah, it conveys a lot of... It does a lot of the heavy lifting for the emotions, doesn't it? I think that's kind of the way it works. Right, Sam. So the next thing I'm going to ask you... So I don't think at the time, because it was our first episode, we didn't quite have our segments quite down. So instead, mm. what we usually do is we do favourite scenes and then favourite lines. And I think in this episode, I asked you which was your least favourite scene and which was your least favourite line. So what I'm going to do tonight, or whenever you're listening to this listener, it could be, you know, middle <laughs> of the day. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you what your favourite scene or scenes of this film were. And we can discuss them quickly. Favourite scenes? Yeah, I think one of my favourite moments was um, when the Millennium Falcon, when they're being... I think it's a Star Destroyer that's attacking them, isn't it? Um, Yeah. And they can't get into hyperdrive um, to light speed. I really like Han's reaction to that and and then hiding it onto the Star Destroyer. That was genuinely... I almost didn't notice that the first time around. I I didn't remember that happening, to be honest, when I watched it this week. But it stuck out as a really big scene for me it was a, yeah. I know it's not the best scene of the film or anything like that but that was the one that I really warmed to from it obviously it's the big iconic scenes and so on but it would be almost trite to talk about them I think they, a lot of them do work 
I think second to that as well, it was really effective when Han was put into the carbonite um, because because they're, they're so callous disregard for his life like maybe he'll survive maybe he won't you can see Leia's reaction you've got that great line of I know um, and yeah and I, felt, I felt something for the character in that moment yeah. so I think a mix of those two scenes really yeah I must I'm, I think the carbonite uh, scene is he's probably like he's, let's face it it's probably the second best scene of the film uh, but it is a powerful scene and my only criticism with it at the time was I I never felt like there was any sense of peril that Han was truly in. Um, I was surprised, I think, the first time I watched it, that that was it, he wasn't in the rest of the movie. I thought that was quite an interesting mm. bold choice to make at that time. Um, with such a Back when subversion of expectations was nascent. good rather than de rigueur <laughs> and really yeah. just an annoying screenwriting trope. Yeah, and I think at the time um, for our episode, you said that your favourite scene was the you know the the big you know I am your father scene, and um, yeah. I because it's a, essentially a twist that I've known my whole life. It, it didn't do anything for me, but I don't think that's anything a problem of the film. It's not that fault. It's not the film's fault at all. You yeah. know. But so, it, you what know, was your favourite line then of this film? Favourite line was by Han actually, um, uh, partly because I'm part of the subreddit. Never tell me the odds. Okay, uh, which is and having seen Rogue One as well, there's a whole big thing. What's his? What's he called? K K two S O. K two S O. There's a whole big thing about that there, uh, and I, and I was thinking it at the time. Yeah, stop telling him the odds. <laughs> stop telling him there's a one in millions of chance that you're going to survive. Uh, yeah, and that was I really like that line. But it is a good example of Han again being a bit dickish to see three PO. But I kind of was was on his side this time. Although in that situation, right, some people have, have I've heard this argument where in that universe where these robots and androids and all that do exist and because they're like essentially automatons with no real feelings and they're essentially slaves <laughs> for humans and <laughs> other species people would be quite, like you don't apologize to your toaster if um no, you know, if you accidentally knock it it's, but but chewy's but chewy's not an android and he's a dick to him all the time <laughs> fair enough but no that's fair enough no i, I can see i could see why you you, you wouldn't personalize a c3 yeah. kind of in that kind of uh, you know, yeah i'm not saying um, hey you should treat them like this i'm just saying maybe that people <laughs> treat these robots the way they do because they're Ten a penny, essentially. No, that's you know, fair but... enough. And I think you made, yeah, you made the point at the time. Yeah, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't get too connected to a toaster or a mobile phone. Um, I think overall, then, my response to yeah. Star Wars is that I do think everything I said before basically still applies. It does have those flaws, but it, what happened was what I was what I was expecting to happen. It almost felt like because my opinion the first time is on record, I was allowed to. Just have that as, have that as read, and just enjoy the film, ignore those flaws, and it made it a lot more enjoyable this time round. I'm not yeah. a big, I'm not, I'm still not a big Star Wars fan, but I'm kind of looking forward to seeing Return of the Jedi now. Whereas last time I was like, I do not want to go through another two hours of this. Right. Um, so you're, oh, that's interesting. So yeah, yeah. I suppose your opinion has shifted a little bit then, because mm. after watching Rogue One, we kind of decided. Well, I decided that we probably weren't going to do Jedi as a film because you didn't react well to uh, Empire quite vitriolic. <laughs> well, you kind I of said. exhausted. You didn't want to go through me pissing all over more of your sort of child well, favourites. Well, I tr- well I tried to show you a film that I think is a bit more grown up in Rogue One, and it's a diff- it's a different kind of Star Wars film. It's like a um, it's, it's a, a heist. Yeah, it's a heist movie 
melded with a war film and you know it's more grown up performances I know you're a big fan of Felicity Jones so I thought you know it's got Mad Mickelson in it you know I thought you might enjoy it a bit more and then you were mm. you said it was fine and I was like well he's you know, I'm not. I'm not one for flogging dead horses. So I was surprised you've agreed to do it for this retrospective. To be honest with you, yeah. Um, well, I really, I really wanted to do this retrospective because I, I really genuinely don't know. But I hope that you'll like that a bit more because most of the problems you had with it were things that I could see having seen it several times. Um, but I do think overall I've, I've enjoyed it a lot more. Um, I still don't know if I could have watched if you could watch this for the first time as an adult and have a you know, such a strong reaction to it. I think you do see the flaws naturally. As an, I've got a few questions for you though. Okay. I don't know how. I, I mean, so you're, you know, you're a big Star Wars fan. Where would you sort of rank yourself in the geekery? Because it's so there's so there's millions of disciples of this film. I mean, I'm not somebody who can sit here and quote scenes. Put it that way. But, mm. um, do you know the lore? Do you know the general the stories around it and so on? There's so. For me, I'm somebody who just kind of sticks to the films, like anything beyond that, and I'm just, it, I'm not that interested. So there's like TV shows. I think it, there's two TV shows, novelizations, uh, Clone Wars, and Rebels. Yeah, and in that they've kind of, they've retconned some stuff that happens in the films. Um, so there used to be a Star Wars uh, universe that then got Disney basically said didn't count anymore when they took over it so they, they call that Star Wars Legends now and everything that's mm. been produced since then even if it's in like a comic book or a novel um, is now technically uh, canon but I mean it's right, something okay. I enjoy because it's a bit of nostalgia it you know it's it was clearly a cultural movie event when it happened in the 70s you know maybe there was that kind of when I was a little kid, I was like, oh, nothing like that's kind of happened since I've, well, I've been alive, you know? Nothing that big until, I would say really, until Avengers and all the Marvel stuff. Well, that's when cinema kind mm. of became, you know, appointment viewing almost in that kind of TV way where people go out, you know, have you seen this yet? Um, yeah. It's amazing I, I when be- you look at like the 90s when you go, oh, what was the highest grossing film of 1994? And it's not a... It's not a sequel, it's not a franchise, it's just a film that was beloved. Is it 93 or 94 that uh, um, Die Hard with a Vengeance was the highest grossing film of the year? Right. But again, I mean, that's that, that is a sequel. A successful film. Yeah. But it's more but like, it's you know, I'm sure I'm sure one year Kramer versus Kramer was the highest... You know, like the, the, these films that would not be highest grossing anymore. So just a few just a few geeky questions that really came up that I just wondered if on, you knew of any answers so first you. one is that obviously that they kind of go from planet to planet is it ever kind of addressed the kind of how they breathe on other planets and that sort of thing is that is that ever I assume people talk about that somewhere on forums um no not really I, wouldn't, I mean I won't be with somebody perusing forums if I'm being honest yeah. like you said what level of there geek? must be somebody who has an answer Probably. to that somewhere. I mean, my, my the, biggest um, inconsistency with it is um, when they go out and, of the ship and when they're in the asteroid field and they've literally just got a face mask on. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, nobody gravity. says, oh. And nobody's like, oh, there's an atmosphere and some gravity out there. Yeah, they just walk around yeah. like it's normal. Because yeah. the planets are different sizes, but they're not Space. being squashed. And you know what? And I'm not, yeah. I'm not, it's not a criticism because cause I'd rather they went on different planets and it was more interesting and they didn't have to keep wearing spacesuits and stuff. That's absolutely fine. And same with the languages; they all seem to understand all the different 
languages of different animals and it's aliens like, and look, robots. Mate, and it's like Harry Potter. You know, what's the answer yeah. to all questions in Harry Potter magic. about? <laughs> it's magic. In Star Wars, yeah. what's the answer? It's it's future alien technology. You know, they might all which, have chips which again, I'm, put into them I'm as children. With, that translates I just languages if like the Babelfish. Like exactly. I just wondered if there was like a Babelfish kind of thing. No, um, do you know if the Disney Plus version is new or different? Because it felt less hokey. Do you know if they actually like the I don't know about Empire. Sense. Apparently they've made some more edits to some of these films I can't remember I'll be honest I can't remember <laughs> off the top of my head what they were yeah there's some more yeah. changes apparently um, you can find it them definitely online felt if you're less that interested okay. yeah, yeah I mean um, you probably I'm guessing the one you watched was the 1997 like or the remastered one and then I think there might be one more tweak in that from um Oh, what was it? I think in 2002 I think George Lucas did another tweak where he put Ian um Oh, what's his name? Oh, my brain's gone blank. The Emperor. He put the Emperor. Ian mm. Ian McDermott, I think he's called. Yeah. yeah, so this is the new, the latest Emperor. And maybe listeners then, if, if you know if Disney Plus made anything special for this, do get in touch with us at Please Watch Pod on, on Twitter. So before because, we move on, Because it did feel better. It felt better and well, better produced. I've got one other question for you, actually. Oh, um, How do people view Lando Calrissian's kind of behaviour, his betrayal? Do you know if, that, if there's a thing? Do people wear t-shirts saying Lando's a traitor? No, nobody does that because <laughs> he turns out to be a hero, doesn't he? And he has like yeah. a big part in the uh, the third film, so you know he's very much right, he okay, changes to be a good guy, very much so. Um, yeah, it's always it always there is there just seems to be a bit of plot inconsistency because essentially Boba Fett figures out Han Solo's trick and follows him. But yet the Empire are already at Cloud City before uh, Han and Leia get there. Now, one could argue that the Empire had already set up, like, sort of dominion over Cloud City. And as soon as Boba Fett kind of figured out their trajectory, he was like, they're going to Cloud City. He's a known associate of Han Solo from back in the day. So we'll go there and you need to Mm. put pressure on them sort of thing. But that's that's I'm absolutely fine with that sort of, like... You know, it's not a concrete plot hole. There, and I don't know there is, although there is another plot hole though with Lando is his decision to change sides. Whilst in a, on Fry Heroes is a very human decision and a very intelligent decision because you're all like, oh well, thank God you've done that. You're saving the day and you've saved uh, Princess Leia and Chewbacca and all that. But then it's like hang on, haven't you just left the fate of this colony, this mining colony to the Empire? <laughs> there, there's going to be consequences for your actions here, you know? This, they're going to dictate Yeah, authoritarian right-wing Nazis don't tend to treat rebels very kindly. Space Nazis, as you've called them before, yeah. They are space Nazis, <laughs> no, I think that's yeah. fair. And that happens a lot, though, doesn't it? That happens an awful lot in films where, well, the scene is over, so there's no jeopardy left in that scene. Um, you know, whether it's Deadpool two or loads of other. Let's let's move on anyway. We don't want to be here forever. So yeah, I was going to ask you was again upon watching it again, how many um, I am your father's out of ten would you give it? <laughs> I did think about this. My original rating last year was three out of ten. It and was. I think I think I'd say at least a five out of ten now. It's definitely gone up. <laughs> it's definitely gone Only up. a five. The way you talked about it, yeah. I thought you'd give it like at least a seven. And you're no, quite generous, I, still, I think. I still don't rate that because, again, maybe if you're watching it as a child, but there's just so much wrong with it. And I think, 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it with my daughter and seeing it through her eyes and her giving it a 10 out of 10. And once again, I still just think there's so many things I don't like about it. And once again, would you recommend it to anybody else? Uh, It'd be weird, wouldn't it? Um, Having to recommend The Empire Strikes Back, (laughs) as you had to do. Um, I'd recommend it just to to some people, but not... Here's a question for you. over 13, unless they've got this sort of sensibility. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. So say you're teaching some year sevens at school, and one of them Mm. hadn't seen The Empire Strikes Back. Would you recommend it to them? Because they are like 12, Yeah, I would say, I think you'll like this, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I would. Well, <laughs> Which I feel is, like you Damn it with some fake prayers. I think you've moved a little bit on the Richter scale. I think the fact that your daughter saw it and that you kind of got that glimpse of childhood wonder for the, that briefest of minutes there when she I watched am the quite jaded crawl. now. Because <laughs> you're a cynical old man, yeah. <laughs> you know, my knees have basically gone in lockdown. <laughs> I can't sit down for very long without my knees clicking. But... Yeah, I think I'm a bit jaded, but this yeah. is the power of exercise. That was the arthritis, it's the gout. <laughs> the gout from all the alcohol and not exercising. My expectations were so high. They were so high when I first saw this, and then they were so low when I watched it this week that that's what expectations do. You know, I was told it's a 10 out of 10, so I gave it 3. I thought it was going to be a 3 out of 10, so I gave it 5. You know, it really does have an impact. So you think Hi, that... Hugh, are, you, are you happy? Are you happy with my revisiting? I mean, you've clearly gone and critically thought about the film again which is interesting mm. you've not just doubled down like a lot of people would do on these films yeah. you know they, you know, if they don't like something they don't like it they're going to give you more reasons why they didn't like it and that's when we discussed it in other episodes that's kind of how I felt you had gone so I'll be honest I thought you were going to sit here and maybe get at it some more and destroy it a bit more because you know it's not it isn't a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination I like it based purely on nostalgic reasons and you know the fact that it kind of introduced the world of filmmaking to me through its ex, you know its um, behind the scenes interviews and things that I saw at the time and the, like the, how they made it and everything so I'm glad that you can at least appreciate what it represents but I understand, I understand as an adult that it's not a film you can easily go in and watch for the first time. And if you, especially if you're like really into more, I don't know, atmospheric character driven films, then yeah, the dialogue in here is going to be pretty terrible. And, you know, the, the acting might come across as a bit wooden even at times. And yeah, you <laughs> might not buy the whole premise of the actual conflict. Uh, yeah, but I'm glad you enjoyed it more. Good, and I'm hoping in the second half of our show that you're going to take that integrity move and really genuinely re- re- reassess their old blood, even if it means you still hate it or were underwhelmed by it. Oh, it's going to be awkward <laughs> now, isn't it? No, I'm oh, shit. we'll see what happens. Well, listeners, join us, join us after the break where uh, we'll find out Hugh's new views on their old blood. Hello and welcome back. Uh, we're in our second part now. We're going to have a little retrospective on There Will Be Blood. If you've not seen There Will Be Blood, well, there are spoilers ahead. We probably should have put that warning as well for Empire Strikes Back. So, Hugh, it's been not quite a year, but it's been a good chunk of time. And I spent a lot of our conversation about There Will Be, there will be Blood saying, I think you'll like this film more when you've seen it again. What I really want to do is address some of the key points, some of the key criticisms you had of it before, and uh, see if your mind has been changed. We'll start with a little clip, fairly short clip, uh, on one of those criticisms. Like, 
But then I also do have this thing. I really like Daniel Day-Lewis. I always have. I, he's he's a cut. I think I said last week he's a cut above everyone else when it comes to acting. But there's also a point when it's a film that's so when he is the main character of a film. Sometimes he kind of you. Am I watching the film or am I just watching the actor? And if you've seen Lincoln, which I don't wish on anyone, <laughs> quite honestly. <laughs> I watched that film and I was like, oh, I've just watched a film for the last nearly three hours. Um, and it's just Daniel Day-Lewis doing a really good impression of what he thinks Abraham Lincoln was like. And when Day-Lewis doesn't have the material to work from, which he does in this, he can come across as self-indulgent. Where in this, he's not self-indulgent, but I feel like the rest of the film is self-indulgent. Okay, so you saw it was a bit, a bit self-indulgent, a bit more about acting. Do you still feel that way, Hugh? So, in that point, I was basically saying that it feels like the, it's essentially the Daniel Day-Lewis show, isn't it? And everything kind of revolves around him. And it is a film that's very much about da- um, Daniel Plainview, isn't it? Um, so, upon watching it again... I think I remember saying at the time I didn't hate the film. I just wasn't as overwhelmed by it as everyone else seemed to be who thought, oh, it's amazing, it's this, it's that, it's this amazing film. And I'm not sure my opinions entirely changed. Uh, Watching it again today, I kind of felt it still is... because Because the film doesn't have a driving plot, it kind of just plods along for about what maybe six months a year of this man's life is the bulk of the film uh, in you know the main the main sort of stay of the film again he does it's an incredible acting job you know the scene where he you know the end scene's amazing in terms of his acting there you know it's it's got loads of range in it the scene where he's in the church having Eli exercising because um Mr. Bandy wanted him to be part of their church and, you know, Eli basically humiliates him. Um, The scene where Eli comes to him asking for the money and he beats him up outside the the oil pool, all that sort of stuff, you know, the reserve. So, yeah, I mean, I I think I've changed my mind in the fact that I don't think it's self-indulgent in the way that I thought it was originally. I think I've realised that this is a film about one character and that's and just ex- and accept it for what it is and the fact that Paul Dano does so well against that because it would be easy for him to suck all the air out of the room he's that he's able to hold his own is a, is a is a plus in this film and yeah I've probably softened my opinion on it's self-indulgent I don't think it's self-indulgent to that's that good. extent that's anymore good. again do you I think that's an expectations thing like you said path- you've, you sort of accept that it's a character study as opposed to a plot I think so here, so for example, when you know when we set up this podcast, there was these list of films that we we hadn't seen, and this was one of those films that I hadn't seen, and I was really looking forward to it because I was, it was a bit like U.S. Empire. I was expecting it to be so good that it was. I just found it a little bit boring, um, not very. I, I because I was because I'd seen also. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson's other film, uh, Boogie Nights, which the has... Week before. is Yeah, so it was fresh in the mind. And because I'd seen that, and there's more... There is more plot in that film. There is a bit... It drives forward a bit more, where this... 
there's I think you spoke about there's no ticking clock in Empire like with this there's no ticking clocks it's just things happen and it's characters reacting to those things which again I mean we criticise characters for being reactive rather than proactive like one of the one of the reasons he goes out to uh, one of the reasons he goes to that church is because he's reacting to what Mr Bandini wants from him he wants him to be part of the church so it's a he's put but then he's put in an awkward situation because he didn't go see him sooner do you know that kind of a way mm. so you can see there's motivation there because he's bring, he's playing brinkmanship with that character to try and lower the price of his farm again I'm not sure Sam if I'm being brutally honest well, I think what this what could I, do is, uh, is lead us into the next point actually quite well because um, a, such a big part of our discussion was was really about character motivation, some of the decisions that that he made and some of the things that he did. Um, I think was a was a big sticking point for you. So I'm going to play a little clip um, that sort of comes after that, uh, that sort of ties that nicely together. Okay, maybe this is me being a simplistic reader of a film and saying. Look, I am. I I I have been presented here with a nuanced character, and I am in turmoil, and therefore my turmoil has turned out to be that I don't like this film because I can't. I I am trying to, either I'm wanting to do one of two things: either despise or sympathise. So that was kind of there wasn't a, a neat uh, clip that really listed all the things that kind of took place in that clip, but essentially a big part of the problem for you was that you didn't, like you said, you maybe you weren't understanding it, or maybe there's something wrong with the film whereby he's making decisions and he's doing things that go contrary to his goals. So let's get into a few specifics then. So Hugh, how do you now feel about the blessing of the Derek and him snubbing Eli at that point? And even now, I'm still find that a bit strange that scene I still don't understand why he agrees to it and then goes back on his word and then he just does the blessing himself maybe All it's right, like so a you know, maybe, we'll big talk about... dick, maybe it's like a big dick move you know a bit of mm. you know I'm in charge here to Eli you know I'm not going to be you know he's you know obviously by the end of the film you know he called he wants him to call himself a false prophet and religion's a superstition so maybe he's that's a manifestation of his feelings on religion you know he clearly uses it to his advantage doesn't he um you know he'll oh, say yeah. lord willing and all this when he's trying to convince religious people to he's a uh, very american you know, politician believe... well he goes oh i believe the good lord brought me here to your farm yeah, <laughs> you know yeah like yeah, yeah absolutely and again another, another, another example of your great daniel day lewis impression as uh, daniel so so i want to get into some real specifics and i think about 90 percent of our episode last time was you saying this is a thing that he did that didn't make sense and then me trying to find the words to explain that so let's start with Derek. <laughs> What I, what I want to do is rather than taking all the credit for this, I'm going to I'm going to point the listeners in the direction of an excellent um, YouTube video, basically, uh, which is called Vocal Control in Movies, and it's a lot about John Wayne and then a lot about There Will Be Blood. I think it's called There Will Be Blood Vocal Control Vocal Control on YouTube. I'll put it on the social media. Essentially, it all it's comes catchy. down to oh yeah, it all comes down to um, if you can make somebody say something then you're in control. It uses things like Pulp Fiction as an example when they go to visit Big Brain Brad and he says, you know, say what again? And uh, and, he, and, he, and when you get somebody to say something, you know, you, we've all been in that position where somebody says, now say sorry. You don't want to say sorry because they told you to say sorry. You know, that sort of, that sort of scenario. Um, so 
Eli is this... But what's this... Sorry, what's this got to do with the Derek, though? Okay, I'm getting to specific. it. I'm building a narrative. Don't okay. worry, we'll, we'll get there. Um, because, All right. because what Eli is doing is he's somebody who wants to make Daniel say things. And it's not about the things that he's Yeah, because he say. asks him specifically, doesn't he? Yeah. He says to him, I can't remember the exact words, but he, says, but he basically you bless, says... Then you will bless me and you will say, uh, you know, this... Yeah, you'll introduce me and say mm-hmm. this, yeah. The son of these hills. So you think So you think it's a, he's reacting against having somebody tell him what to do? Yeah. And he's... Because Eli, where the Eli comes is. in, he sits down and he's not, when he's not invited to, and he says, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll introduce me at the Derrick and this and that. And then actually what Eli, what Daniel does is he then gets the young girl... Sunday's young girl and says this this daughter of the hills and just basically takes what Eli said he needs to say about so it got to we had a big discussion last time I just want to have a very small version of that what do you think motivates Daniel playing view in his life what do you think his ambition is having rewatched it so having rewatched it he seems to be somebody who wants total control over his life and if if you're not with him, then you're his competition. Mm-hmm. And so the only people he views as with him are his workers and his family. And when they stop working for them, they're competition. Like, I think that's illustrated when he say, he literally says it to HW in that scene when he's older, you know, you're now my competition. Mm-hmm. And yeah. HW's trying, we're not competing, I'm in Mexico, how can I be your competition? And I think so that's I think the note, which is great, because before it was kind of like... It seemed like maybe you thought his motivation was to be as rich as he can be. But we know that that's not true because he turned down a million dollars to just yeah. give over his work and, you know, retire rich. Well, there's that great line, isn't there, in the film where um, the other, is it the Standard Oil man says to him, um, he goes, well, we'll make you a millionaire every minute you're sat here. Yeah. And he goes, what would I do with it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, oh, no, he goes, what would I do with myself? That's yeah. it. So he's so, like a sort of Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't want to be rich and be president he wants to be in control he wants to be respected you know and I think ultimately that's what I think explains that Daniel Plainview is not about being the most successful oil baron he's about like you said being in control and I think that explains why he would do things that are kind of counter to his professional ambitions if it means in the moment he's not being controlled or he's not subservient yeah so there's there's basically there's like I would say there's two more things in this film that I don't, in terms of his motivation or his decision making, I'm still not 100% certain on why he does it. So the other one is they're quite close together in this, in scenes. Um, so it's when he brings HW back. I think, is he bringing him back because he feels guilty? I can say, yeah, fine, guilt, that's his major motivation there. He felt, you know, he felt bad that he sent him away and you know that he'd actually made a genuine connection with another human being rather than <laughs> just being a tool for his for his power and control and you know his his comfort and you know his whatever his ambitions are and then the other one is when him and HW sat in the restaurant and he starts mocking the standard oil man and he goes over to him and basically humiliates him in front of the other people because mm. he's managed to build a pipeline and make a deal with Union Oil. I think is the he's, he's basically yeah. circumvented the... Uh, I think I can more easily the, talk about the oil, the, the, the you know, humiliating the guy from Standard Oil because... So is the bit there, is it basically that they've cooked, that Standard Oil have got their 
their hands in the um, the railroad business and he circumvented that railroad business and therefore denied Standard Oil more profits. I think is that is that the point that he's kind of trying to make that he's made this deal that they Well, think yeah, but again, he's he's not a, he's not about the business. He's purely personal. So the guy when he was offering them the money said, you know, well and you can you can look after your son and he was just insulted by that on a personal level and he doesn't like the fact yeah. that they're clearly talking about him that's that i think that's it it's not a it's not you a think business it's thing not at all. even that complex no i think he's a proud man who wants to be who doesn't want to be mocked or humiliated so he and he's also a drunk you know the ways you know you know there's a there's a, there's a lot of those men who tend to be about 50 who um when they get a bit drunk they get a bit sort of bitter and they're talking the way that he's yeah. talking to him, you know, and he's and he's sort of saying it through this fog of whiskey at lunchtime. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a pure pride thing. It's not a business thing at all. That in terms of bringing his yeah, son back, that... that is this small moment of humanity, isn't it? You know, he's yeah. he's let out some emotion, saying, "I've abandoned my boy." I do think you're right. Now, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where. I mean, yeah, I'll tell you where maybe my opinion has changed, though. Was at the time when I first watched it, I wasn't entirely sure why he kills um, his fake brother. Mm. Um, what's that character called again? I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah, he's fake. No, brother. me neither. He, yeah, his fake brother, who basically was, imp- yeah, he was an impersonating brother. And at the time, I was like, that's just a vicious, brutal act of murder that he's just mm. committed for mm. no reason. And. But now I understand what the character is more. He's somebody who doesn't like to be humiliated. He doesn't like to be taken a fool of. Um, you know, it's it's that scene, you know, at the beginning where he threatens Paul someday and says, oh, if I, you know, if you're lying to us, I'll come and take more than my money back. This is him actually fulfilling on those kind of promises. It's like, you've made a fool of me. I'm going to take everything you've got. And watching it the second time, I actually understand it now. Um, it's still a vicious, brutal, murderous act, but it it's in line with the keeping of the character. And the reason that it works is because, what, like you, I think you said in the previous episode, that there's one bit where he actually shows some like normal, like human activity almost, where he goes, <laughs> you know, oh, um, his brother says, oh, we'll get some girls, and he's like, oh, we'll get liquored up and we'll go to the peach tree dance. Mm, and because his yeah. brother doesn't react to a very specific response, uh, very specific point about something that they should both know about and both be familiar yeah. with, he's then he's suddenly like you said, he switches, he goes into the ocean and he realizes that what's happened. And so instead of it being a snap decision, it's actually quite a cold, calculated one, and. Then I think I said at the then, time that it's it's him deleting his internet browsing history, isn't it? By yeah, do, which, killing his brother. I don't think it's that, personally. <laughs> I, at the time, I kind of agreed with the metaphor, but upon reflection, maybe I don't agree with that so much. It's more like the next shot is him, his brother laughing, and the women laughing the that when they're in the bar. So mm. I think it's that he feels that's that laughter of humiliation, and you're actually seeing it from Daniel's point of view that they're laughing. Instead of it... Them just laughing together, they're la- he feels like they're laughing at him. Yeah. So I think yeah, exactly, that's. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a. Mu- in retrospect, I prefer. I understand that now more, and it's much better. And it's oh, that's good. yeah. That's good. I think you've got these little scenes that build upon each other, and I think that's that kind of makes sense now when you kind of you know, like he said, he's, um, you know, like when you put that the standard oil man going about HW, and then you know, like he said, he's a proud man and he cares about family and control and power so he feels like somebody's kind of taken that away from him by 
embarrassing him essentially and taking him taking his money. Yeah. There are films that we've watched that you understand plot and character first time. There's films that you need to watch many times to get this plot. I'm thinking Primer. And there's films that you need to watch several <laughs> yeah. times to fully understand character. Um, and I think this is more than any that we've watched, certainly for the show, um, one that you have to re-watch to understand the character. Unless... I mean, there are people who get it first time. and I don't think I got it all the first time, but I certainly liked what I saw the first time. Yeah. I'd really like to, to touch upon another thing that you said um, last time where basically you said that you didn't like the time jump. That was a big kind of point of debate for us, I would say. And a little bit that he's not a very well-developed, like, thoroughly developed character. So let's listen to another little clip. Okay. So his brother, when his brother turns up, he asks him about what he's done before, you know, before he basically ended up in California. And he, Daniel Plainview basically just says... Um, Oh, I was working out in the mountains somewhere, but I didn't like that. That's all I have to say about that. I'm not going to explain myself. And there, in one bit of dialogue, he's cut off any inquiry into this character, other than what he says. So, Hugh, how do you feel about that now? We've sort of touched on it a little bit. Any any changes in thought? Yeah, so I have changed my mind a little bit on that, because... At the time, I was annoyed that you just didn't feel like you knew the character of Daniel Plainview in this film and the bit where he goes to give some character development when he's talking to his uh, faux brother. That's where I was like, oh, he just cuts it. I was I was annoyed because it was like, oh, he cuts it off. But then actually when you rewatch that scene, he does, there's lots of character development there because he talks about the competition in him. You see inside, he's actually revealing to somebody what he truly thinks about people. He says he doesn't like people much and that he essentially just wants them all to be dead. Well, he doesn't want them to be dead, but he just he doesn't he doesn't like um he doesn't like people. By the he way, like Henry. Mm. Henry is the name of the Henry's guy who's impersonating right. yeah. impersonating his his brother, yeah. Um and because I was like, well, I need you to tell me and actually he's been showing you for like the last 2 hours or the last hour and 45 minutes or whenever that's up to that point actually what plain view is like this is his motivations are there on screen so yeah I've changed I have actually changed my opinion on that scene I don't think you don't really need to know that much about him I think it is strange when actually something I recognise today is when Henry first turns up is he talks about his sister and Mm, yeah at no point do I ever imagine this is a character that has a sister you know, or is it, was actually... a, it, was, it, it reminds me that he has to be a child at some point. I remember somebody yeah. in a TED talk saying um, he lived where Shakespeare's dad was born, and that created a thought in his mind that yeah, Shakespeare was a child at some point, <laughs> and it doesn't make sense. Okay. For some Do you think this film is more of a? It's rather than a developing character, it's revealing character or understanding character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does reveal. Yeah, his character is kind of slowly revealed throughout the film I think there's a there's an interesting like crux in the film and this is comes onto my point about that I wasn't too happy with the time jump I think it jumps about 15 16 years into the future mm, it goes into yeah. the 20s and my so biggest issue an adult. yeah when he's getting married to Mary um, Sunday isn't he mm. at the, at the uh, near the end of the film and it was more that he brings HW back which, okay, you say he's doing that because of guilt, that's fine. And then the next thing he's doing is, 
you've no more development. You don't. You you can say, well, maybe HW doesn't like him because he sent him away. But an eleven-year-old child or a ten-year-old child is going to be bitter for a while. But you know, there's another fifteen years there to develop that bitterness, and so maybe uh, HW sees what the audience doesn't in that interim period. You know if this is what he's done in like a year where he's killed a man <laughs> you know and he's beating up other men and you know he's been brutal and violent and you know he's humiliated people and he's a drunk you know is is it more that you I suppose you can make the argument look this is a snapshot of what he's like you just go with it for the rest of his life and I would have liked maybe that scene with HW to have been maybe a few years sooner maybe he's like 21 rather than um, 25, 26 I don't know, it just jars with me for some reason. It just feels like it's, too big of a big jump. jump. But I think it really doesn't matter what's happening in interim in the sense that Daniel's not changed, but he's just living out that prophecy of, well, if you make me a millionaire, what will I do? And we know what he will do. Like he's not gonna he's not gonna be sorry and and it's Christmas, so he's gonna buy everybody a big turkey. You know, like yeah. he he's just gonna be this old Dracula ghost living in his old yeah, mansion. There's no ghosts of Christmas, past, present, and future coming to, uh, to he's redeem his nothing. soul. He's learned nothing, you know. And, and yeah, he's, he's a Seinfeld character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No learning, no hugs. But it, and, there is there is a duality in this film because I like. I think you remember you saying last time that he's he's you know that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson kind of wanted him to be like Dracula to a point. Yeah, you know. And, you know, there's that great milkshake metaphor line that he uses. I, you know, I sucked up all your milk. <laughs> Slurped it up, you know, whatever he says. And I get that. That's kind of the, how the characters are presented. I think there is a turning point and it's very subtle and you don't, it's not really signposted. But when he is in the church and he has that um, encounter with Eli and then all the people in the community give him pats and hugs and Mary Sunday gives him the hug from behind and then that, the woman sits next to him. And there's a little point there where you think oh well he might not believe in religion he might f- find it a superstition and a, you know it's he's he lies clearly a shyster like himself and a false prophet but there's a part of him that might embrace this community and you know part of him bringing hw back is because he wants hw to be involved in this community and then when you cut and you just see oh no he's an old drunk in a mansion shooting guns down his long corridor yeah, yeah I think it's not a feel-good film about a man finding hope and love for the human race. It's it's still a man who doesn't like people, <laughs> making a lot of yeah. money and then not knowing what to do with himself, you know. A question I have for you, though. So you've seen this film, what, now? Three, four times? In that region, four or five, maybe. Yeah, so is there anything... So what, what criticism would you label at it? You know what? You know we always say, "What do you think you might not like about it? What is it that you might not like about this film? What do you find problematic?" There's honestly nothing. There's honestly nothing. I can I can think of reasons why people might not like it, but I don't think those reasons are accurate. If that makes sense, you know. So the last time, I understood why you didn't like it and and various things, but I I always think there's an answer to those. So honestly, nothing. Honestly, nothing. There's, you know, I'm not Friend. saying it's. 10 out of 10 perfect best film ever but there are there aren't really big flaws I can see in it certainly there's not big flaws that you could point to in character decisions or plot and so on for me for me anyway um, should we get a little uh, revised rating to find out how you feel well about do you want to go through favourite scenes and favourite lines from last time 
see if they've let's do it yeah it's that change go on then what would you say was your favourite scene of this film yes so last time I said my favourite scene was the when the oil derrick hits the gas pocket and there's the um, and there's the explosion and I also said the church scene was also my other favourite scene huge Um, yeah so yeah I think I'm going to change so the oil derrick bit is really good um, it, like you said at the time it was very cinematic and a great score by Johnny Greenwood um, it's very entertaining and you know you get this sense of um, something's happening you know it's the one it's probably the most frenetic part of the film but I think the best scene of the film for me I'm cut between either the bit in the church because that's just such an evocative moment in the film and you know you get to, like I said you get to see more revelations of uh Daniel Plainview's character come out in that, you know, where it's like, you know, I think you said he goes, oh, I, but you know, you abandoned your child, and instead of saying child, he goes, I abandoned my boy. You know, he, he, he like, seems to actually little, feel something, doesn't he? That little veneer cracks a little bit, and you see <laughs> the darkness or the light or whatever behind that crack. Yeah. Um, and I'm a little bit torn between the final scene because on watching that again, that's a lot better than now that I know it was coming. And I know how it plays out. It's actually a much better scene in retrospect. It's more That's good. because That's good. because you've it's building to this violent. You know, it's building to the title essentially. There will be blood. <laughs> you know, there is. <laughs> and here it is. Li- do you, do you now do you now see that it was right not to be a big dramatic score in that moment? I, I think you can do it either way. I I I've not. Yeah, you can you can do it without, and you can do it with. It makes no difference. It's not like the, it's if not Martin really... Scorsese had made this film, then that would have involved a lot of like close-ups and and a more dramatic killing, you know. Yeah, and more. I think stylized. it's interesting. I think it's interesting that you just see it from Daniel. You just look at Daniel Plainview while when he's hitting Eli with the um, with the bowling pin. He doesn't. Mm, yeah. It doesn't. Sh- it only shows him after he's killed him. It doesn't show it. It doesn't show him from like a shot where they're both in view and he's throwing yeah. the pin down on his head. You sort it of just don't need sc- it to be brutal gore because it's brutal. Yeah. It's cold There's three real. blows. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a film. Like I say, if Martin Scorsese had made it, it would be more stylish and maybe yeah. even more evocative. But it would feel like a film, whereas at this, it's more just wow. He's actually just brutally hits <laughs> murdered somebody with a bowling pin. Yeah, I wouldn't favorite say favorite lines then. Favorite lines. Then. Um, that change? So I think no, I think my favorite lines have stayed the same. I, they're all really good. You've got the you know I am a sinner. I abandoned my child. Uh, get me get the devil out of me and get me out of here. Um, you know I'm a false prophet and God is a superstition. All that stuff's top top. It's great dialogue. I can't pretend that it's mm. not. Um, any more for you? Maybe that stood out. No, I mean, obviously I really, I really like. We, we talked about obviously the milkshake was it was a huge cultural moment, but I I really liked it on on sort of rethinking about it. Basically, where he's again the oil derrick and he's and he's getting uh, the girl, um, what's called Mary, uh, to mm. bless it, and he, and just the fact that he calls her a daughter of these hills as opposed to Eli being a son of it. I just think that's a really subtle, really nice line. Um, to go back to the sort yeah. of vocal c- control video, he gets Eli to repeat those words. I'm a false prophet. That's again. They're kind of swapping mm. roles, you know. You like made him say something; he's making him say something. I want I to know then if you're really... Go on, sorry. I was going to say I do something I do like, like I said on that that scene when he murders Eli's. 
Eli, you said he's a very pious character. You know, I think, like you said, if, if it was a Scorsese film, you would see behind the curtain again, to mm. use that metaphor, that he's only doing this to promulgate his own sort of position in the community and have some sort of influence. And where you end up seeing that when he goes to um, when he goes to Daniel Plainview at the end, where he's he's like the devil has corrupted me in ways I wasn't imagining. God hasn't revealed, <laughs> you know. God didn't reveal the economic trouble we find ourselves in, and mm-hmm. you know Plainview's just laughing at him because he's like, mm, "The hell did you expect?" <laughs> and it's kind of like in that small little world of uh, New Boston. Daniel was kind of a influential figure, but put him in the real world when he was out on his mission for those fifteen years, and he's and he mm. he thought he was a bit like that, you know. He thinks he's like Plainview; he's a big Billy Big Bollocks essentially, <laughs> you know. But it's gone the other way for him. So one, it's weird that one finds success but no happiness, and the other one, they well actually, in fact, no, they both kind of. One gets success and no happiness. One gets the sort of recognition he wants, but doesn't get the financial success, so he doesn't find happiness. They kind of parallel yeah. and mirror each other, but not They're similar, exactly. but, but Daniel's smarter and more ruthless. You know, they're both shysters. They're yeah. both obsessed with having control and power, but yeah, Daniel's just much better at it <laughs> than, than Eli yeah. is, essentially. Yeah, and, he, um, and he's making that point them. when he's cha- well, he's making that point, isn't he? When he's chasing him down the alley, he's like, "I won, Eli. I beat you. I am the better man." Yeah, yeah. And I really, yeah, yeah. And when you look at that's the film- probably the moment of happiness he's had in the last fifteen years. You know? <laughs> yeah. And when you look at the film from that conflict, it's it's better. I must admit. Mm. But I will just before we go into the ratings, I do still have one criticism of it. Well, I have actually. I have two criticisms of this film. Is I think his. His actions don't always match his ambitions and his motivations, but I read somewhere that there's a they try to show, and this is me trying to level it out a bit and be fair to both sides of the argument that there's a duality to Daniel Plainview. Like he wants to be this like ruthless, malevolent character. No, no, maybe not malevolent, but he wants to be this ruthless kind of control freak. But then there's also the reality of his emotions. And they, and that's the mm. the duality always playing in him. And then the other one, yeah, I've it's got complicated. is, and yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, he could have used some of that money for a therapist. Because <laughs> I was trying to figure, actually, I was trying to figure it out while I was watching. I was like, well, if how old is he in the beginning of the film? Because is it is it starts in eighteen ninety eight and ends in 1926 so there's what a 22 year period or sorry is it 20 is it 26 or, sorry 27 yeah so 29 years yeah there's like a basically 30 year period of his life so how what how old would you say he is in 1898 would you argue that he's like in his mid 30s like he's like 35 uh, we, we got like into that? this a lot in the last one i don't think it matters other than yeah he's a he's a grown adult and then he's a he's aging at the end yeah, yeah I mean, big, I, it was a big sticking point for you that Daniel Day Lewis yeah, doesn't look thirty years old. But why does it matter? Like, you don't need him to wear a big white beard. Like he, he just looks like an ordinary working man at the start, and then by the end, his body's fucked and he's got you know he looks old. I don't think. He needs I think to if they'd given him a, sh- I think if they'd given him grey hair, I think that would have made it. I think that would have made it better. I think all they had to do, because he's got bits of grey, and all they had to do was make his beard grey and his hair grey, and then you feel like, yes, there's a passage of time. But that aside, it's not really about that. And that's, you know, he's... Uh, Anderson's an auto fine. He doesn't deal with 
intentionally making people look older for the sake of it. I was trying to figure out the kind of the upbringing of the character. So I'm trying to think, I'm trying to place him almost in a historical context of... Well, so if, well yeah, because these, these backgrounds to these characters are important. Well, how, because you, like you said, if Plainview learns nothing, you're just revealing a character on screen. So would you say that he was born in, say, like... The late sixties, eighteen sixties, if he's say, or mid eighteen sixties, say, he's, let's say, let's say for argument, he's he's thirty five at the outset of the film, right? So that's what eighteen sixty three. So born. he's born in the born in the eighteen sixties, yeah. And then, like ten years later, he's like in his mid forties, late forties. So, is it that he comes from a family where maybe his dad was in the Civil War and his dad saw some stuff in the Civil War and came back or was absent or something like that. I was kind of trying to think, you know, had he seen like history of violence at home where he kind of saw failure or something like that and he was like, I don't want to be like that. But he saw somebody who was very singular minded and... Did you want to keep a journal and then hit him, narrate it and keep flashing back to being a child but his dad's absent like I don't think you need that do you like you don't need to explain why he's like this except that maybe he's he's an allegory for those industrial men who you know would were reckless capitalists yeah I mean yeah you don't need it but I'm just trying to think if you could give him a back a better I think it's more explainable backstory like like most things like this it's more interesting to speculate than anything that actually know that they could have because as soon as you make a decision and you put it on the film, it's like, well, that's interesting that we see his background, but I don't think you need to know the events of his life that led to him being like this. Fair enough. Well, Because it's like a three-hour <laughs> film anyway. <laughs> but that's it. I think yeah. you're interested in it. You don't need the film to be four hours and include, you know, his dad was a man's man and made him work down some mine when he was 12. And, you know, I don't think you need that. Yet. Or like his first girlfriend left him and that screwed him up for the rest of his life. It's just because the first 25, 30 minutes of the film, you end up sympathising with his character because he breaks his leg, he drags himself to town, he gets a working oil derrick, he adopts HW, you know, he does all these things that are quite noble. And then Mm. for him to, for then his character to be portrayed as this pernicious control freak who will do anything to make money and have his oil derricks working and... You know, will quite happily swindle people. It's the, people it's and the same both times. He's he's um, he's not going to be cowed by anything. He's resilient, and he'll stop at nothing. So that means he, he's working on that Derek, that initial drill thing himself. Breaks his leg, drags himself to town. He's, you know, he's is the it, sort of person. Is who it his kind of de- a bit further. Is it determined? Yeah, his determination is admirable when it's against the odds. But then once he's in, he has the odds in his favour. It becomes about manipulation and control well he's just he's just a very driven ambitious person who you know again maybe an origin story maybe he grew up in poverty like Goodfellas going back to Scorsese you know yeah. um, he grows up and his dad's a bit of a loser really and he doesn't want to be like that but I do, I think, I do think as, in, as much as I'd be interested to know that I think it would cheapen it to have like that sort of Goodfellas opening um, I think there's a great contrast between him and um Eli's because he's this amoral determined force and Eli's trying to civilise him through his religion. I think that's interesting Mm. and I think that's and there is a, I I said on the last pod there is a morality to this film Um, it's not it's not saying religion's great, it's actually quite um, 
derisory of religion, but it's also mm. saying that capitalism isn't all what it's cracked up to be either, because it makes you yeah. paranoid, it makes you vicious, and it can make you do horrible things to people. It is that, but I don't think it's... I don't. I mean, you're right, it is that, and I think you could easily come away from this thinking, yeah, capitalism's a bit screwed as a as a ideology but I, I just don't think it's a social issue sort of film I think it's just a here's a really fascinating character who does part, who does represent a lot of these things but ultimately it's just a really fascinating insight into this guy and what he does and how he is essentially so I'm keen not to retread old ground which we're maybe in danger of doing so originally you gave this five bastards in a basket out of ten <laughs> Has that gone up, down, or stayed the same, Hugh? Um, it's definitely gone up, uh, but it hasn't. But I do think this film ultimately was is a bit boring on second watch. There's there it is a long film. It's two hours thirty eight, I think, mm. and the, there are scenes that just drag out the runtime for no specific reason. Um, one question I was quick keen to ask you though was you know when HW sets the cabin on fire with Henry and uh, Daniel in it Mm. there's a scene before that where Henry looks like he's looking through the notes of Henry's and he's because he's got his journal or Daniel Plainview's actual brother's journal does Mm. HW figure out that this guy's an imposter and because it looks like he intentionally sets that guy's on clothes on fire, or is he just acting out for no reason? Because at the time I thought, oh well, he's being very cruel, sending his boy away. But then, if the kid's misbehaving, then back then, a relatively wealthy oil man might send his kid to boarding school. Um, get yeah, some discipline I, I, in him, because <laughs> <laughs> he clearly sends him away because he's a nuisance. I do get more of the sense that he. Uh... Yeah, I don't think it's neatly explicable, but I do think yeah, he's he's got reason to to hate Henry. Well, you know, fake Henry, and he's got reason to hate his so-called dad. Um, but teenagers act up, don't they? And and they do irrational things like that as a rebellion. So, yeah, I also kind of yeah. like the bit where he comes at that scene where he comes out of the cabin. He kind of runs away from his dad. He stops, turns around, looks at him for a few minutes, and then legs it again. And then he chases <laughs> after him. There's quite a weird yeah. little bit of humour in that. Um, I would go with a seven bastards in a basket. So I mean, this. that's you know, we've both increased by two, which I think is really telling. Of yeah. we've talked about it several times on the show. You know, often. You can't really get an accurate assessment of a film first time round. That's why I do really respect film critics who can do that at a festival, watch five films in a day, and still print relatively honest Cogent and arguments of what they think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good. Well, you know, I'm, I am happy that it's kind of solved some of the issues for you, and that it's uh, it's gone up in your estimation. Any final final thoughts on the there will be blood? Um. Yeah, I think, like I said, I think it can be a little bit boring if you've seen it before, but then the good stuff is good in it. It's it's a mixed bag, I would say. The music scores great. The acting is no one's giving a bad performance. Yeah, it's. I'd recommend it to people. Good, good. Yeah, that would be my next question. So I'm glad. I'm glad that we've settled it. <laughs> that you like it a little bit more. Well, Rubber after stand. the break, to really, uh, to really kind of. Uh, Drive home. This is a retrospective. I'm gonna have a little Celebrate quiz. Celebrate good times. Come on. 
Now, in our f- now 50 episodes, we've covered 46 different films because of various specials and so on. We're going to now have some little quizzes. Hugh's going to quiz me on the films he's recommended, roughly 20-something. I'm going to quiz him on 22. probably 23, 22 films. 24. 24 films I've recommended to him. So uh, join us after the break for some quizzing. Welcome back. So now what we're going to do is we've got a special bumper quiz. We've got uh, what we're going to do is so we're going to we've got what four rounds of five questions each and we're going to alternate me and Sam. I'm going to ask Sam five questions on a specific subject and then he's going to do the same for me. And then by the end of it, end of it, we will have learnt nothing. (laughs) Um, So the first round is quotes. So we are going to go through some quotes from some of our former films that we've reviewed on Please Watch This. And we're going to start with me asking Sam my five questions for him. So, Sam, are you ready for the quote section of the quiz? I'm very ready for the quote section of the quiz. Okay, Sam. So, question one of our big fat retrospective quiz of the year is... Don't sue us, Channel 4. <laughs> is, um, so, basically, uh, add in the missing word from this quote... We train young men to drop fire on people, but their commanders won't allow them to write what on their airplanes. Uh, this will give it an explicit fuck. Correct. Well done. <laughs> That's question. From and Apocalypse what, Now, I can only assume. Yeah. From Apocalypse Then. Yep. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's one question yeah the full quote is uh, we train young men to drop fire on people but their commanders won't allow them to write fuck on the airplanes because it's obscene uh, a bit good. of um, philosophy from Colonel Kurtz there uh, Marlon Brando <laughs> at his uh, crazy best I feel yes I agree so next question is in which film and what and what character says these lines you're more like Sarah Connor and in the first movie too before she could do chin-ups. <laughs> that is from the film. Well, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to give a little pause so the listener can think about this because, you know, we, we yeah, don't want to... dead air, because dead air is what we like on podcasts. Yeah, yes, Sam. Let's have, because let's have a minute's silence. I'm taking a knee then, right They don't necessarily have to have listened <laughs> to all of our, all of our shows. Um, so... That is they, do you know what they've got? From... This, they've got this magic button called the pause button. If they really want to, they can <sighs> pause it. But if maybe they're on a run, maybe they don't want to pause. Maybe they listen. Like, listen well, to they need to be quicker. Then and they don't can't they? pause it because their hands are wet. That's what I do. Um, so, I was thinking maybe like a one-second pause. Hugh, you turd. Uh, it's coming I mean, from the film. Let me answer. Uh, the hunt for the world of people, and it's uh, I can't remember her name, but it's the um, the council. The uh, you know. Give, the, us, the, give me a job description. Ch- child service um, person. Yeah, she's from the child's... She's called Paula and she's from the child's Paul, welfare like, office, good. isn't that's she? Yeah. Yeah, that's yep, good. that's well done. Fantastic, um, thank you. Fucking pauses. <laughs> <laughs> okay, question three. Uh, which actor said these famous lines? That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Uh, that is quite clearly Bill Paxton from Aliens. It is well done. Game that's over, what? man! Game over. <laughs> when the... When the uh, this, this the little dropship crashes because the alien gets aboard and uh, kills the pilot and yes. the other person uh, on board and 
Newt just goes stoically, I guess we're not leaving now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Question four. What is the name of the character who said this? You know what I hate about myself? I know what people taste like. I know babies taste the best. Oh, nice one. So so I know you'll know the film. Yeah. And the actor, Chris Evans, of course. Yeah. But can you remember the the character's name? It's not... Character, Snowpiercer. The fact that they use quite a normal name here. Yeah, it's called like, you know, John Smith or something. Yeah. Do you want me to give you the first letter? So you can maybe riff on it a bit. Uh, It's the first letter C. So we've got Colin, Calvin, Craig, Charles... uh, Charlie. No, that's the guy from Red Dwarf. I don't know. It's Curtis. Curtis. What's his surname? Yeah. I can't remember. I didn't write it down. Oh dear. Oh dear. Curtis, no one calls him by his surname. It's always Curtis. Yeah, fair. Okay. And then the final question in the quote round from myself is um, which film is this from? If it bleeds, we can kill it. <laughs> That is from Predator, quite a recent film that we covered. Well, yeah, well done. So you got four out of five on that one. That was good. Well done. <laughs> Not bad. I'll, I'll take yeah. that. I'll take that all the way to the bank. Yeah. Um, well, I'll do my little quotes for you now. Then. Um, okay, I'm ready. Let's do it. So you got to tell me the film that this is from. Tell me, you did not just reference Home Alone. Oh. Um. I think it was both of our favourite line from the film, or it was certainly my favourite line, your favourite line was the one just before it. Oh, crikey. What film was it? <laughs> a very recent oh, it... one as well. I'm guessing it's a comedy. It's uh, not. It's oh, quite it's... funny. It's got com- comedic sensibilities, but it's certainly not a comedy. It wasn't the... No, it's not The Big Lebowski, because I'd remembered that. Mm-hmm. And also that was before... Oh, no, that was post-Home. Well, it was set pre-Home Alone, Matt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Did Home Alone not come out in 1990? And the big Lebowski set... Oh, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Thereabouts. Yeah, but it's not that. But let's ignore that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sam, this is really bugging me. I can't remember. Oh, you did that just reference Home Alone. Yeah, because it's about... Oh, what are they trying to do? They're trying to go somewhere, <laughs> aren't they? Um, micro-machines, you know, that's their plan. I can't remember, Sam. You're going to give it to me. It is, of course, the Jordan Peele directed us. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's <laughs> us, isn't it? Yeah. Damn it. Quotation oh, number two. Yeah. One of my favourite lines of this film. He was an old man. Half the time he was confused. How could he be positive about anything? I've no idea on this one either. <laughs> I'm not very good at this. i the quote from the quote, film. I'm terrible at quotes. Um, was this was man. said... So the same guy who said that character... This quote was said to him. He says, somebody says to him, you don't really mean you'll kill me, do you? Is it Primer? No. <laughs> no, it's not Primer. This film came out, I'd say, 50 years before that. 49 years before that. Oh, it's um, 12 Angry Men. 12 Angry Men, absolutely. What a film. Yeah, I do remember the quote. You'll, I think you'll get this one. I can smell a virgin from a thousand paces. Oh, it's uh, what we do in the shadows. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Number four. I would have voted for a barber a third time. Oh, that's um, the dad in us. When no, he's trying to... not us. Not us. Sorry, um, 
Uh, get out, sorry. Get out, that's right. Um, I've got seven, so I'm just going to go with... Uh, do you want all five. seven, or shall I give you, I'll no, give you a fifth? Let's, the, qu- the, the quiz Here is we go. Here we go. So this is my favourite of oh. the last three. Um, I can't swim. Are you crazy? The fall will probably kill you. So one person says, I can't swim. The other person says, are you crazy? The fall will probably kill you. Um, it's not ringing any immediate bells, if I'm being honest. So they're planning their escape. One of them suggests that they they jump and go into the water. The other one says, I can't swim. The other one says, well, you'll probably die anyway. So, Oh, it's Butch Cassidy. That's right. Yeah, Butch it's when, they, when yeah. they're trapped by the gang that's hunting them. And they don't... Yeah, and uh, Butch reveals... That. Sorry, Sundance reveals that he can't swim, and it's like, and right. now's the time to tell me. Yeah, yeah, I remember <laughs> that scene. Yeah, it's a good scene. All right, so you got uh, two, I think, three, four, three. <laughs> you got three out of five. Not bad no, I got at all. Four. Not bad at all. You got Slow Butch start. Cassidy. You gave me a lot of clues, but I, oh, I suppose you did I get got... twelve in your bin. Yeah, you did get twelve. Yeah, I'll give you four then. Go on then. So okay. next round. So the next one is what I want is I want the name of the character. In the specific film. No, wait, so you're going to give me the character name and I'm going to give you the film name. No, I want you to give me... I think there's been a miscommunication here. I want you to give me the name of the character in the film. Right, okay, well, what Have I've you got for you are a list, of, a list of characters' names and you've got to tell me the film that they're in. That makes more okay. sense, Okay, so we've... <laughs> well, I suppose you can... Particularly... We're doing. We've take. We've look. We're, we're doing this from different angles. Um, I can give you the character name. I can do it that way if you like. I think that's better. I do think that's better. Yeah. Um, okay. So, what film is Jin Erso in? Rogue One. She is indeed. Well done. What film is Furious Styles in? Oh. Oh, I definitely should know that. That's that's an easy one. See, I think the way I've done this is it's it's easier. The questions are easier when I give you the character's name. I think this is the only one that's going to catch you out. I know that for certain. Now, my, my first thought was um, Home for the Wilder People, but I think maybe it's maybe Boogie Nights. Um, I'm now looking at the list of films that we've done. It's set in that same state. I'll give you that. It's in the same city. It's in the same city as Boogie Nights. Maybe the fighter. But that's like that's like four. No, <laughs> that's like four films that have been set in Los Angeles. Boys in the Hood. Boys in yes, the Hood. Yes, well done. Yeah, good, yeah. Good, it's good. my original question is what is Trey's dad called? So right. I don't think you'd yeah, have yeah. Got that at all? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Question question eight. Um, what film is Mason in? Character's called Mason. What film is he in? Mason. Mm-hmm. Mason. Is that the wind that shakes the barley? In rural Ireland, in Cork, do you think there's Masons running around in 1920s Cork? <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know where Mason comes from. So, oh, Mason, is that boyhood? Well, a Mason is somebody who 
It is well done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, it's derivative of the name of, of the job masonry, mason, a mason. Yeah, so I'm sure there's lots of masons in, in, in Ireland. Yeah, in England. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen to the racial stereotyping, lad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying people who do the tarmac for your drive. I'm saying actual masonry. Jeez. Oh yeah. Okay. You racist. Okay, so what film is um, Amazing Amy in? That's definitely. Oh dear. Boogie Nights. No, it's um, it's the children's book name of Amy Dunn in Gone Girl. So uh, she says that's that. Good. Yeah, that's yeah, good. So Amy works when she's like saying, oh, um, I, I got cut second, first year of you know, university, it, you know, or second, I got cut second year and um, Amazing Amy made varsity on the, the volleyball team. You know, she's all yeah. these things that yeah, yeah. basically, you know, it's all the criticisms of her that her parents have All this bitterness that's, that's building up, absolutely yeah. fair enough. And finally, what film is Joy in? Joy is in that film Joy with Jennifer Lawrence. So that's your answer. That's my answer to you. Yeah, we've totally and watched that film. Yeah. That film Jump Inside the, Out. Do you want the, the film again? Do you, would you like? Would you like the spelling <laughs> of the film? Would you like? Sorry, would you like the spelling? <laughs> yeah, of you the can name? spell it out for me. That'll Even, be absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. B A L D E R two N E R two four zero. Yeah. Is it played with a twenty point nine? It is. Yeah. Well. Well. Well spelled. Yeah. So it's Joy J O I. And a yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've told you the answer now, so I don't need that anymore. Yeah, obviously. Good, <laughs> yeah. good. So I got, I got some of those right. Some of those you got wrong. four again because uh, you four. can spell. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm all I'm going to do is name uh, for each one. I've got two characters per film. You've got to identify the film based on the characters' names. Okay. So question one or question six, uh, if you like, Paul mm-hmm. Sheldon and Annie Wilkes. Oh, that's misery. Good, right off the bat. Well done. Uh, this one yeah. I think you'll get really easily as well, actually. Aaron and Abe. Oh, that's Primer. <laughs> yeah, because you spent about 10 hours going, uh, well, Aaron is this and then Abe too is that, etc. This one is much more tricky, but I do trust and believe in you. Tina and Chris. Oh, that's uh, Sightseers. Well done. I don't know if you'll get this. I've been a bit tricky here. Robert Leroy Parker... And Harry Longabow. Robert Leroy Parker. And what was the other one? And Harry Longabow. I'm struggling, I'm not going to lie. I'll tell you their nicknames if that helps. Does that give it away entirely? I'm not sure. Go on then. Their nicknames are Butch Cassidy and Sundance yeah. Kid. <laughs> I was just thinking that just it might be Butch Cassidy that. as well. <laughs> how would you how do you spell that? <laughs> um, I like think it might spell. be that little-known film Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Sam. <laughs> and lastly, <laughs> Greg and nick. Rachel. Greg and Rachel. Greg and Rachel. Oh, uh, is that circle? It's not. Oh. I'll give you a clue. There's a third one. He's called Earl. Oh, it's me and Earl and the dying girl. <laughs> yeah. So the me I is think... Greg and the dying girl is Rachel. Yep. I think we'll um, we'll call that four out of five. Eh? 
because <laughs> you said the other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. About four out of five. So yeah. next up is some former quiz questions, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So um, just because of the nature of the quiz, I've kind of reworded it a little bit so you know the 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 um, the, the film. So yeah, speak, me too. Me than, too. Yeah, so it's not verbatim, but it is essentially the same question. So let's see how well you remember these. So question 11 is, in boyhood, what subject is Mason's mum teaching? Psychology. She is. Well done. <laughs> Thought I'd get one close to home there for you again, see yeah, if you remember that. Yeah, she's dropping in a bit of knowledge about operant conditioning in the last 12 seconds of her lesson. Makes a little yeah. joke and then sends them on their way like they're supposed to remember that next time, but whatever. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, because kids, teenagers and young adults famously remember the uh, last 12 seconds of every lesson. Yeah, they remember. They famously remember things you just tell them and then send them on their way easily. Okay, next question, question 12. In The Fighter, what is the name of the documentary that Dickie Eklund appears in? It's something along the lines of Crack in America. It's something That's like correct. That. No, Crack in America, oh, there you yeah, go. So, that was, so Crack in America is the name of the documentary that he appears in the film. The real-life documentary was called High on Crack Street, Lost Lives in Lowell. Fantastic. It's a real documentary with the real Dickie Eklund in. Okay, question 13. Unlucky for some. In Marriage Story, what grant does Charlie receive? The MacArthur Genius Grant. Oh, well done. Like a genius, you remembered it straight off the bat. Well Mm -hmm. played, sir. Well played. So this is the only question in the quiz that doesn't actually appear in the film... But right, we did okay, talk yeah, about like it extensively questions. in the podcast. So, who was originally slated to play Indiana Jones? Tom Selleck. He was. Well, I've done. seen his uh, his screen test, and it is it would be yeah. a very different film. You know, it fits, it makes sense, but it's just not. He's no Harrison Ford. Yeah, I agree. Um, but it, like I said, I still think it'd have been good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he he was a man at a time anyway with that moustache. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As I'm finding now that I've grown a moustache of my own, it's uh, turned some heads. Yeah. Mostly from concerned parents in parks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the final question. Now, I, I hope you get this one, but I don't. I think this is the hardest question of the quiz. Question 15. In Boogie Nights, what does Reed, John C. Riley's character, say his name will be in the Brock Landers films? Oh. Oh, I don't know. Because, I mean, in the Brock Landers films, there's, uh, it's like Chestwell uh, or something, rock hard Chestwell. You're not um, a million miles away there. You, it's a chest. Th- is there a word chest in there? Yes. And you've got, you've got the surname, so you just need the first name. Oh, uh, is it Brock Chestwell or something? Oh, no, it's Brock Lander. Uh, um, yeah, he's oh, Brock Lander. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg is Brock Landers. Yeah, I'll say I'll say Rock Chestwell. You were so close. You were so close. It's Chester Rocky. Rockwell. <laughs> so close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My name will be Chester Rockwell. <laughs> I love that bit in that film. Such a great film. So come on then, Sam. Hit me with some oldie questions and see if I can remember the answers to them. Let's see what we do. Let's see what we do. Uh, I'll start with A Quiet Place. In A Quiet Place, there's a scene where they knock over a lantern uh, and make some noise. What board game are the children playing at the time? 
Oh, I got this question wrong at the time. <laughs> oh, I don't remember. It's like Monopoly or something like that. I think it's Monopoly. It's more than like Monopoly. It is Monopoly. Well done. It is That's Monopoly. That's one out of one. In Sightseers, yes. what is the tourist <laughs> eating at, that Chris kills at Critch Tram Museum? Is it a Cornetto? Cornetto. Good, good. Two out of two. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. In 24-Hour Party People, what is the name of the record company that Tony creates? Oh, I can't remember. I'll give you the Spanish, La Fabrica. Fabrica? Oh, it's the factory, isn't it? Yeah, nice they do. Factory records, yeah, factory, factory records. Factory records. Uh, so, I'll give you that, three out of three. Um, primer and Primer. Where do, they get the copper, <laughs> where do they get the copper tubing that they need? He gets it out of his fridge. Well done. Yeah, I was hoping and he gets. Go on, whether he gets the, the car. Yeah, no, he gets the copper tubing, and they're talking about getting. Is it the Xeon out? The Xeon palladium. Or something like that? Palladium. Yeah, yeah, but they're on about getting something else out of the fridge because he's like, oh, will it not work after this? And they talk about getting another gas out of it. But they oh, don't I'm do not it. sure. I'm not sure. They do. But yeah, four out of four. And finally. Uh, same vein to you I've chosen one that sort of doesn't appear on screen but we talked about it and I think you got this right at the time who scored the film Princess Bride oh nuts it's oh he's a famous yeah not John it's not John Williams that's Star he's Wars he's not no he's not famous for soundtracks really he's a famous musician though Princess Bride, what we're talking, mid-80s, late-80s, famous musician. Damn it, I can't remember, Sam. I'm pretty sure he was in Dire Straits. Oh, is it Mark? Mark, what's-his-face? I can never remember his surname. It is Mark, what's-his-face, yep, hold on. Yeah, Mark. Oh, my Mm, friend's partner, she really likes him. Mark, Mark. I can't remember his name, Sam. Can't remember it his starts name. with a K, but it's it's an N sound. Knopfler. Oh, oh yeah, Mark Knopfler. Nof, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Good. Four out of five. I knew it was four out of five. So, after that... I'll give you four and a half. You said Mark. I'll give you four and no, a half. We'll, no, we'll go with four, because do you know what? Okay. After three rounds, we're tied on <laughs> we're tied on 12 each. Wow, okay, let's go with two yep. then, instead of four. <laughs> uh, good, so we have one final round, and this is the one I've been most looking forward to. What we're going to do now, or what Hugh's going to start us off with, we're going to play a little clip of music uh, that is from one of the films that we've recommended to each other. I'm going to see if the other one can rec- can recognise the film, that, what it's from. We are. now. Hugh, take it away. feels like you know a, a sort of mainstream blockbustery type Lucas Spielberg type film I think that might be Empire Strikes Back can you see that on the screen I just realised I was turning it towards no, no, I wasn't really looking at it no it's you were close you're so close 
Go on, I'll give you another guess. Go on. Well, it is, does that mean it's Rogue One or Indiana Jones? Uh, I'll say Rogue Could One. either. <laughs> well, that's impressive that you got both those wrong. It is Indiana Jones. It's the opening, <laughs> it's the opening bit where he's uh, about to go into the temple. Of course it is. That's good. At the very are, all these, are, there, are all these uh, tracks from the score rather than like songs? Um, so they're songs that appear in the films. They're either fair score enough, or enough. they're, they're um, songs that the composers have chosen to put in the film. Yeah, so enough. the next one, a question, uh, what are we on now? We're on number 17. So for question yep. 17... I would say that's from the sexiest of the 46 films we've covered, and that would probably have to be Boogie Nights. It is. Well done. Such a sexy Boogie film. Boogie Nights it is. And what, and what game is that from as well? It's famous. Oh, I don't know. Oh, you don't remember? It's uh, from one of the Grand Theft Auto games. It's from, I think, it's either Vice City. No, it's uh, from... Yeah, it's from Vice City. I suppose or it San Andreas. I think it's San Andreas, yeah. I think they play it in like a trailer for it. I, th- oh, okay. I thought as soon as I played it, I thought, oh, he's going to know that because he can remember no. it from no. uh, GTA from back in the day. Right, so question 18. So I've got a, uh, so this one's a little different for you. So the question is, I'm going to play two clips and I want you to tell me if the f- if it's from Arrival or if it's from Blade Runner. <laughs> so the two clips are going to be from one of the two films because they both kind of scored very similarly. I want you to guess. It's essentially the same thing. You're still guessing, but I want you to guess if it's from Blade Runner or Arrival. So you know the films, so you've got to guess which film it's from. I get it. I, get, I understood, yeah. <laughs> So, was that clip from Blade Runner or Arrival? That's really tricky. I can sort of picture where it fits in Blade Runner, but it sounds like it should be Arrival. I'm going to go with Arrival. You would be correct. Well done. Fantastic. I thought, to be honest with you, when I was making this round, I thought that the music was going to be so evocative of the films that you were just going to get it instantly without like yeah, questioning. Yeah. So... It's the same question, so that was part one of the question. This is part two again. Is this, is from, this from? Well, you're going to find out, aren't you? Is okay. it from Arrival or is it from? This is what you've got to guess because they sound, like you said, the soundscapes are so similar. Can you guess? Ooh. Can you distinguish the two? 
Well, so I mean, if this, is a, if this is a if this is a two part quiz, I can only assume that's Blade Runner. It's got a bit more synth in there, which would be more evocative of that synthenia. But have I tried? So. But have I tried to double bluff or you have by you, having two yeah, clips from Arrival? By acting stupid mm. for twenty years, so I underestimate you. That's such a such a long <laughs> play. <laughs> it's finally uh, paying off if you get the right <laughs> wrong answer. I, I'm going to go Blade Runner. You're right. I didn't. Yeah. I'm not going to fool you. No, it was. I really thought you were going to play both pieces, and I had to decide which. <laughs> yeah. Sort of in hindsight, that would have been a smart play. <laughs> <laughs> and then go. This is from this film. Of yeah, I would have both pieces and made you guess. But then yeah, I would have had to I play two pieces from the same film, so it doesn't quite mm. work when you think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you got both of those right, but that's one mark because it was a two-parter. So well done. I was uh, wasn't sure if you'd get that. And to be honest, if you don't get the last two, you're a moron. <laughs> okay. So this. I mean, is the chances eight. are quite high. So question nineteen. Vicky Baker, now you are thirteen years old. You are a teenager, and you're as good as gold. Ricky Baker. Oh. Ricky Baker. Happy birthday. Once rejected. Now accepted by me and Hector, a trifecta. <laughs> so, Wonderful. what film was Wonderful. that from? It's clearly uh, the Hunt for Red, o- Red October. I mean, um, <laughs> Hunt for the Older People. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well done. So, the final, final quiz question for Ooh. you on this game tonight is: What film? Oh. It was playing because I was playing it last. What film... Did you hear that? <laughs> uh, uh, less than a bar. Okay, you ready? I was going to leave it to play to the evocative minute, but it was 49 seconds, so I'm guessing from, you know that From one. my point of view, from my point of view, you could have played the whole song, because I love that. And when it, before the doors actually, it's the doors, before the doors actually kicked in, I was like, that helicopter sound, sounded like it was going to be the Predator or something, but yeah, clearly it's Apocalypse Now, uh, and it a wonderful, well wonderful song to end that quiz on. Done. Well, so, once again, you got uh, four out of five, so four you are out of five, in that's the lead. just the way I roll. So, so you need to get four out of five to, uh, to stay in the game. To, to okay. tie or all five to win. Yeah, well, I thought uh, as well I'd have this. this is the end as uh, the last question. As the end, the smart. You thought about yeah. it more than I did. Um, let's go for this one. The long con.
think it is Get Out. Correct. It's the music when they're in the apartment at the beginning. Fantastic. And, and do you know who that's by? No, I don't know the artist. Uh, Charlie Gambino. You're, you're over 30 now, so of course you don't know the fan. Who's what's music? Uh, again. Things. Here, here yeah. we go next up. Now, hopefully you know this. Hugh, what film is that from? Can you just... Have you got the volume turned all the way up on your phone? It's not particularly loud. It always does this over Zoom. That's how... It, it, it's not... It's like when you were playing yours, I couldn't hear it consistently. Ah, right, like okay. I know the tune. Um, it sounds like The Big Lebowski. You'd be correct in saying that. Who's it by? Is it The Eagles? No, that's the. No, he hates the. No, that's um, in the taxi scene. I don't know. I don't know who this song was. This is a bit where he's flying after he gets knocked out the first time. Yeah, it plays quite a lot in the film. It's um, it's the Man in Me by Bob Dylan. Oh yeah, see, that's not a Dylan song I'm overly familiar with. This one a bit trickier. It's not a pop song. It's not. It's not as well known a song. But I'm hoping it's going to be evocative, provided uh, it comes through clearly. film that's from it's either from Place Beyond the Pines or Blue Ruin it sounds like but to me it sounds like Place Beyond the Pines well done absolutely yeah they yeah. do have a sort of same sort of vibe and Soundscape, you're absolutely right with yeah. that next that's yeah. actually by Ennio Morricone who's uh, just one of the best no, soundtrackers of all time wow. did Could the Bad and the Ugly I mean that guy has got such range unbelievable didn't realise that was for Enrico Morricone yeah, here we go next. He was still alive <laughs> back then. I know, yeah. Something like eight years ago, nine years ago. Or was it I 2010? Mean, maybe they maybe he didn't write it for it, but I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Maybe I should know that. Here we go, number uh, 19, I believe. Do you know what that's from? 
It sounds again like it's from us. To me. It's not. I'll give you a clue. Yeah, there's, there's initial, some... No, don't, no, don't give me a clue. <laughs> I think I can work okay, out. Okay, okay, okay. Take it away. It's Pan's Labyrinth. It's Pan's Labyrinth, yes, absolutely. So that track is called Pan's Labyrinth Lullaby. The lullaby itself is called Mercedes Lullaby. That was going to be yeah. the clue that I'd give you. Not the name of Pan's Labyrinth Lullaby. That might be too much of a clue. And finally, well, that, something that was, that was to, for the draw. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, sugar, yeah. We're on 16. You might, you might win then. This is very upbeat. It feels good to be a gangster A real gangster-ass nigga plays his cards right A real gangster-ass nigga never runs his fucking mouth Cause real gangster-ass niggas don't start fights And niggas always got a high cap Now I could play that song forever But um, <laughs> now bearing in mind that Hugh recommended Boys in the Hood to me So it's not Boys in the Hood Hugh, for the win What film is that from? Well, I think it's very uh, apt for this situation because damn, it feels good to be a movie gangster because it's from the <laughs> film Us, and it's the film that the, it's the song that they're listening to in the car and they're all rapping to. Oh, do you know what's even more delicious than than that is how confident you are and yet how wrong you are? Because <laughs> you're thinking, of, I got oh, no. five on it. Oh, no, yes. I got it completely that was, Damn it. That hang on, was hang delicious, on. listener. I have to. Oh, no, I just. I totally embarrassed myself. That was so. I, I want to marry oh. that feeling I have right now <laughs> to see Hugh dancing oh, no, and then to vamp it? on it and call himself a movie gangster and then get it wrong. Oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> it swung and missed so badly. That's from. Is it from Sightseers? It's not from Sightseers either. Where's it from? <laughs> it's uh, sort of played by the, one of the whitest characters ever put on film. <gasps> oh! <laughs> it's the bit where they're smashing up the printer in office space. and Or it's when he's playing it in his car at the beginning and then he it's by I can't remember the name of the character but it's the one with the glasses and he's playing Michael Bolton yeah and that's <laughs> it's it. the name yeah. of the character Michael Bolton oh I can't believe I got that wrong oh it is in the film yeah. I got the them film. confused Office Space in the film yeah. Office Space as I said yeah absolutely um, well I mean I think, we've I think, drawn. I think it's a draw but I think you've taken the, the moral victory there Sam cause I, I mean I feel happier than so you do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so clearly. I'll take that as a win <laughs> Well, Sam, I've had a great time doing this retrospective. I've had a wonderful time. Films. This yep. episode has run. It's going to be a longy. Um, so, yeah, I can't, I can't help feeling to... we, we we retread some ground, listeners. So, apologies if you've sort of heard us talk about things we already talked about. But uh, you know, but don't listen to sometimes the old you do when you, know you do. Exactly, sometimes you do when you do retrospectives. And do you know what? Why don't you make fifty episodes of a podcast for free? You know, I mean, if you're going to complain, if you're going to sit there and complain, Get Out was a good film, wasn't it? Um, yes, yeah, episode. What was it? Four. S- uh, four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Sam, do you have any <sighs> sort of questions you want to ask me? My question is, what have you learned from this little experiment, Hugh? Um, I've learned nothing. No, um, <laughs> that you know. Yeah, there will be blood. Most, most good, most good lessons is, start like that. You know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I didn't realize I had to have learned anything. <laughs> um, what have you learned, Sam? <laughs> I've learned that opinions are 
difficult God, it's and like a frustrating. What have you learned? I don't know. Do you want me to read some of the lesson? <laughs> Fuck me. Clearly God. nothing. Clearly you've so nothing. Jeez. I've learned that Hugh doesn't really like most indie films. Oh, is it like that? Oh, do you mean yeah, what like have that. we learned over these 50 episodes? No, no, no. You know, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Not, not today. I mean, generally, 50 episodes, we've learned a lot of stuff. Better editing now. We're better at talking. Words. <laughs> one after the other. Um, I've learned it's hard to get people time to listen to a time. podcast. Uh, but if you are listening, we honestly, we love you quite a lot. Uh, you, yeah. If they do love us, or they just want to thank us for loving them... How might they get in maybe, touch with us? Maybe, maybe before they get in touch with us, we should t- discuss what the next episode is going to be. Bloody hell, I suppose we ought to. Oh. So, Hugh, what are we going to watch next since I last recommended Big Lebowski? What's your recommendation? And your actual recommendation, almost to yourself, we're going to do, we are going to do Return of the Jedi. We are. We're gonna, finally, a year on. Yeah, Sam's finally softened his position, it seems. So mm. we're going to tentatively dip our toes in, back into the Star Wars swimming pool and see if the <laughs> water of George Lucas's magnus opus is uh, to Sam's liking. Yeah, and I know some things given about the fact, Jedi. Given the fact that he didn't like Empire, which is the best one. But there we go. We'll yeah, try, we'll try him it. with some Ewoks and see if it works. Yeah, what do you know about it? Go on. Yeah, tell Ewoks. Warwick Davis was in Ewoks. Some people like them. Some people think they're really irritating. I assume I'm going to be irritated by them. I know that old Darthy Vade's, um spoiler alert for anyone listening who doesn't know about this film, um, I think he basically throws the Emperor over the side of the thing. That's going to be a big momentous occasion that's going to mean nothing to me now um han comes no. back yeah. Are, yeah you know it's gonna be some stuff and some oh and we find out that their brother is oh jabba the hut's in this one he and is the golden bikini not, not peter um, we find out that leia and luke are brothers and sisters of each other so yeah lots of stuff i'm, I'm excited to just to just sort of close the chapter on I should be a big part of society we're hoping to get a guest on who uh, who's a big geek on these things as well so that'll be great oh, the moral will be revealed though because that mm. may or may not See, happen so indeed, fingers crossed indeed. okay What's so next? if you uh, I'm just going to give them the email address so if you <laughs> I mean okay. did, have you got Change a touch sort a of um, metaphor metaphor um, <laughs> can do it would you like one no, no. You know. I mean, unless for old time's sake, if they wanted to get in touch with us, Hugh, how might they do that? What they would need to do is so first of all, they would need to find oil in the um, <laughs> in this California in a galaxy desert. far away. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting to it, Sam. <laughs> so yeah, they it's need to find oil. Yeah, then once they've found oil, they need to set up a pipeline to bring that oil to the sea. Then once they've brought that oil to the sea, they, what they need to do is they need to fund some sort of space project or and or a time machine, because right. that would probably more likely get you to a galaxy far, far away. Once you've got to that galaxy far, far away, you just need to find yourself a computer, and then you can email us at <laughs> pleasewatchthis.pod at gmail.com. That's pleasewatchthis.pod at gmail.com. Sam, where could they find us mm. with uh, more up-to-date, you know, mobile-friendly sort of... Well, you can do... Well, if they, they've got to go through all that process as well. Um, then hope yeah. where they get, as well as an email connection, they've got Twitter in their galaxy. And um, if that's away. the case, we'll be on that on that Twitter, at pleasewatchpod. So you do really want to hear your opinions on a few things. We want to hear your opinions on the show. We want to hear your opinions on Return of the Jedi, so we can include them in next week's show. And we just want to we just want to talk to people. It's, we're still in lockdown. Please, please talk to us. Mm. 
And uh, we do. love you thoroughly. Thank you for making it all this far away. And uh, we do indeed. go listen back to the other 49 episodes. Here's to another 50, yeah? Chin chin. Here's to another uh, at least three or four. Yeah, at best. <laughs> yeah, we've pretty much done all the films we want to do now. Yeah, it's up to you now, listener. Tell us what we should watch, I guess. Just give us some info. Give us some ammo. And we're going to get loads yeah. more guests on. That's our plan. A big, wide variety yeah. of guests. So, yeah, talk at you next week. And, uh, you know, look to the skies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the truth is out there, yeah. And yeah. Uh, buy a ticket with the raffle. Uh, yeah. So, see you next week. Bye! Bye.